I don't have any one passage we're jumping to. We're going to be in Luke, Matthew. We're going to be looking at a few others because I want to do something that we haven't done for a long time, and that's just answer a bunch of questions about what happens around the Christmas story. And even people have been asking this week, well, hey, is this the way it happened? Now, before we get started, let me ask you a different question. Just a, And it's goofy, but it ties into this lesson. If you didn't know when your birthday was, they didn't have it marked on the calendar, your parents forgot or whatever, and you could pick any day in the year on our calendar when you would celebrate your birthday, what day would you pick? Why is that? Okay. You, you sure it's the right, that June 25th, you're good. Okay, I got that down. Okay, what other, would you pick another day than, than random for a reason? Why? April Fool's? I don't want to touch this. I'm just asking. Okay. Any other dates would you pick if you could pick your date? Why February 29th? Less birthdays. It doesn't work that way, but a good try. Okay. Any other dates that you'd pick? Yeah, right. He only age four years. He's dreaming, I know. So, yeah. Anybody else? Do you have, if you could pick a date, why, you'd pick a different date, and then Why? I asked my grandkids this yesterday, so if you could pick a date. And one of them said, the day, like three days before Christmas. I said, why is that? Because then I get all my gifts, and then three days later, after I got used to them, I can get through a whole bunch more gifts. <laughs> so it's like, well, you may not get all those gifts. He, oh, see, the, I... Well, see, there, there's the rationale behind yours. Do it in the middle of the year. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Here's some questions to see how smart we are about this. Jerry, Mary, <laughs> let's start all over. Jerry and Moshe. Okay. Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem on a cart by camel. He walked, she rode the donkey, miraculously transported by God via Uber, or we don't know. Three, three, door number two, three, door number three. Actually, the answer is, we don't know. We don't know. There's a whole lot in this Christmas story that we, people just assume. Here's what it says in Scripture. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, to be taxed with Mary, his spouse, wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, we have no clue how they traveled. That's all we get. Okay, here's another question. The wise men came and saw Jesus while he was lying in a manger right after the shepherds went back to the fields after they knocked on the door of his house when he was a toddler when he was headed for Egypt. Three and four. Three and four. Okay, three and four. The star went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they were coming into the house, they saw the young child with Mary. So they, they came to the house that knocked on the door. Somehow they had to get in. And so the idea is that they came to a house, not the manger. And it's up to how many years later? Up to two years later is the possibility. Okay. In Bible days, myrrh was used to warm people up who were burr, okay? Was a very rare priceless fur. Spice put in the burial wrappings around dead bodies. Mixed in drinks to help dull the pain and senses of someone suffering. 
3 and 4. It's both of them. Okay, It is both 3 and 4. Here we go. How many angels spoke to the shepherds in the field? A heavenly host, one angel. They did not speak, but they sang. This one we know. What did you say? A? It's not A. It's not A, so it's narrowed down. Okay. You got, you got B or, or two or three, excuse me. Which one? 50-50, folk. Okay, it's one angel that spoke. Then, lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them. And the angel said, Fear not, behold, I am bringing glad tidings. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest. Here's your question that also comes up. Is, did they sing or did they say? We don't know. We don't know on this one. The heavenly host, the word that is used for the idea of saying uh, the host praising God, it is a very rare word used in the New Testament era, but the word was used in the Septuagint, which is the, uh, the Hebrew Bible translating the Greek, and a lot of times it was with singing. But we don't know what Luke, under inspiration, did it mean saying or singing. We just don't know which one it is. The unique... The unique sign given the shepherds to identify the Christ child was a star over the house, a Christmas tree, the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, the babe would be lying in a feeding trough. Three and four are what the angels say. The most unique one of those is what? Laying in the trough. Because swaddling clothes were used. Okay, there's historical record that they, that they were using swaddling clothes. It wasn't that rare. But what was extremely rare is that he's lying in a manger. The manger is a feeding trough, okay, used for the animals. It means that he wasn't in the normal family quarters. And so what gives the impression is that he is in the area where the animals were kept, wherever that may be, a, a house, a cave, a lean-to, in the courtyard, we don't know exactly, but he was in that area where the animals were kept. And oftentimes what they would do is the family would live in the upper quarters, and down below would be where the animals were kept, or they would do their daily things. So is he in the lower part of the house? We, we just don't know that fact. But what this indicates is that... This was not the place for a newborn child. That is clear that you're going to find him in a very unusual spot where there's a birth. The words of the innkeeper to Joseph were, we've left the light on for you. Okay? You should have made reservations early. There is, no, there is room in my stable. Try the Romans day in down the road. I have no room in my inn, none of the above. You're not sure. Well, we know it's none of the above, okay? In fact, um, I'll throw this out to you. Where in the Bible does it say there was an innkeeper? Okay, there, it doesn't say in the passage. All it says in the passage is this. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So there's, there's no person per se mentioned in this. And the word that's used for in is this idea of a lodging place, a guest room. It could be even a guest room in your home. 
the catalumina, the idea of this, this chamber. In fact, it's used later on. Mark uses it where they go and they rent the room for the Lord needs your room for his uh, Passover supper. That's the same uh, word that's used in that passage, that it's somebody's upper chamber of their house. And so the question comes is, was Jesus born, um, was this an issue of an innkeeper's home? Was it an issue of possibly a private room that they were renting out because of all the people coming in for taxation? Or was it even one of his relatives' homes? That they said, we have no room in here where we're keeping other family members. The the best we're going to do for you is give you where the animals were, even though you're great with child, and that could have been the case that they may have said, because you're great with child, we, we don't want you up here. You're going to go down into that animal's chamber. We don't know. We just don't have any idea what it was. Where did Mary and Joseph live right after the birth and the initial temple visit? Did they live in Jerusalem? Did they live? Oh, here's my options. Jerusalem. They returned to Nazareth, their hometown. They remained in Bethlehem. They moved to Egypt. They went into the wilderness. You're not sure? Okay, we, we, with, definity, with definitiveness, we can't really say. But here's what the text is telling, or the sequence of events. If you're in Matthew chapter 2, And follow the sequence of events with the wise men. Here's what seems to be the most reasonable thing. Mary is first approached by the angel, and it says very clearly, Mary lived in Nazareth. The passages also tell us that Joseph was of Nazareth, and then as well, he takes Mary to be his wife. And so once they get married and the taxation comes, they head to Bethlehem. When they arrive at Bethlehem, she is described as great with child. Then the baby is born in, the, in Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy. Then we know this, that up to two years later, somewhere in that period, the wise men show up. And they come to see the Christ child. They are told by Herod. So the the star appears. The passage does not say the star led them from the east to the west. It just says a star appeared. We have seen his star in the east. And then they travel. And obviously the star is turned off for a period of time because they come to Jerusalem and say... Where is this child? And when they are told it's in Bethlehem, they, le- they get ready to leave Bethlehem, and then the star reappears, and they rejoice with exceeding great joy because the star has appeared. And the star then leads them right above where the Christ child is, apparently to the house that the Christ child is. The question is, where is this house located? Some would suggest it's in Bethlehem. Some would suggest it's in Nazareth. Some would give other ideas. I personally believe, based on the text, that it's most likely in Bethlehem. Okay, because that's where, you know, they are, they are met by the wise men. And the reason being, we know Bethlehem is going to be the region where they're going to suffer the innocents. By the way, just for your information, when it says there is going to be great wailing in Ramah, that passage that they're quoting from Hosea, and Rachel shall weep, Ramah is an Old Testament reference to the region where Bethlehem was located. As well, Rachel's tomb, 
is historically thought to have been in Bethlehem. So Bethlehem is where the slaughter of the children, how many that may be, that takes place. And the angel then appears to Joseph and says, get out of here now. We talked about that last week or the week before. And so they flee to Egypt. Sometime later, they're in Egypt and the angel says, go back because Herod has died. So Joseph is heading back. And the passage says that as they're heading back, they're going to, and he doesn't say specifically, but he says he hears that Herod's son, Archelaus, is in charge. And so he stops and doesn't head, continue heading back to where he was. An angel appears in the dream and warns him of the danger of Archelaus. Archelaus, by the way, I told you about how nutsy Herod was. Archelaus killed hundreds to inaugurate his own term. He was even crazier. His rule was diminished. When his dad died, the Roman Empire, Caesar, gave Archelaus the crown from his dad, but they reduced his territory to just Judea didn't include Galilee. So Joseph is headed back to some area, but he pauses and he's warned, okay? And so he's apparently heading back to, and to me it makes sense, he's heading back to Bethlehem where they've lived prior to fleeing from Egypt. And then they turn aside and they head back towards hometown where they used to live prior to uh, the taxation, the birth and whatever, and they head back to Nazareth. And all of that is fulfilled because you're trying to get prophecies fulfilled that said he was born in Bethlehem, but what, is he, what region does he live in? He lives in Nazareth, and and so when he's growing to be an adult, they're making that comment that he's Jesus of Nazareth, okay? And so it all comes together very simply and very specifically. What year was Jesus born? Here's your options. Zero, one, before 4 B.C., we have no clue. Why are you saying three? Because you heard it, okay? Do Do you know why they figured that it was around that time? You don't remember? Anybody remember why? It, that's the right answer. It's, it's no earlier than 4 B.C. Okay. No later. I'm sorry. No later. It's anywhere from 4 to 6 B.C. What's that? Uh, that's, that's not why historically they, they narrowed it down. But Daniel's prophecy plays into giving a time period. Okay. But why, why historically have they concluded that it had to be this time? And everybody agrees on this, historians. King Herod is the key figure here, okay? Um, they, uh, what happened back in those days is they didn't keep records the way you and I keep records. So this is a very difficult one we get prior to these, the early years of Christianity. The way that you would usually uh, keep track is you might say, and the Jews did this, in the year of so-and-so, in the year of so-and-so. So what do you have to know in order to do dating? Which king came next, 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 next? So genealogical records were not only just for family history, they were for keeping all your chronological history. And so in order for you to keep your, your American history, you would have to know who was born after who after who after. You'd have to know which president was in rule and what, what time. And then base your timing upon, okay, in the second year of Millard, Millard Fillmore. And most of you are going, was he a president? Okay. 
And so you'd, it would be very difficult. What happened is in the Roman Empire, and I'm, I'm leading up to something because I'm tired of the criticisms that Christianity takes on the job at this time of the year. Um, here's what I'm getting at, is, is giving you this information. The way that the Romans kept their, their uh, dating is when Rome was founded by supposedly Romulus and Remus, when they founded it, what year was the kingdom going, 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 going? And so what that brings us to is that they say about the year of the Romans, 754, Jesus Christ was born, was the, was the postulated date. And so that's the way the Romans would do it. Others would, um, other times they would keep it by the same thing Jews did in the year of Tiberius, in the year of Julius Caesar, in the year of, and so they had a couple different dating systems that were in function at that time. And so there's a lack of uniformity, and then you have the regions outside of Rome trying to figure out. And so there wasn't this clock that everybody went by. There wasn't this calendar that everybody went by. There wasn't this idea, okay, December 25th, and the whole world has that December 25th on the calendar. They just didn't do that. And so part of the problem is if you're dating by kings, what happens if there's a gap between the kings? And that gap could be weeks or months. What does that do with your dating system? All of a sudden, you're, you're fouled up by what we would know. You know, take three months out of the year because there was no king, and then your dating is all fouled up. What happens if you have a bad ruler? This happened at times that they would want to get rid of, like Caligula, he was such a horrible ruler, they tried to erase all historical record of him. So all of a sudden, he ruled, I think it was nine years. In his period of time of rule, all of a sudden, you, you blot out nine years of somebody's life. Well, that screws up your calendar as well. And so then you have, if those who are going by a lunar calendar, things are changing because you don't have a specific 365 days. You are going on 360 days, and so your months are just cycling differently. So what they did is right around 500 uh, year, 500 years after Christ, the, the Roman world decided that what they needed to do is come up with some type of uniform dating system so that everybody was figuring the same thing. They were already using the Julian calendar, which was based on 365 days a year, but they have to figure out, okay, when did things happen prior to this point? And the Julian calendar, by the way, wasn't universally accepted. So calendars were changing on all through this. So one of the popes, right around that 500 B.C., he, or A.D., he asked Dionysius, who was this scientist and scholar of the time, they asked him, come up with a uniform calendar that we can use throughout all of Roman Christendom. And so he developed a calendar, and now notice the dates. He's doing this in the 500s. It is formal accepted within about 75 years after that. But you're trying to put all your dates in reverse. And so he is trying to figure, okay, about 754 um, of the AUC calendar, that's when Christ was born. So he was estimating and trying to figure it out with limited knowledge of some of the historical uh, archives that we have even today. And so he postulated that Jesus was born at such and such a year, that's going to be A.D. 1. And that started the calendar that we're used to as far as keeping track of the dates. But it was off by at least four years. And, uh, and that he did his very best. In 4 B.C., based upon a number of historical documents that came out years later, based upon, uh, upon astronomical charts, 
not an astrological, okay, astronomical charts, okay. They're able to date some of the things that happened historically based on some of the signs on the sky that they put down. Herod died at 4 B.C., and when Herod died, he already killed the Christ child, possibly that Christ child was up to two years of age. So anywhere from six to four is when Christ was born, based on our current calendar. And it's okay, there's no problem with that, but it becomes an issue of discussion when we go a little bit further with this. What time of the year was Jesus born? Was it December 25th, January 6th, springtime? We don't know. And this is, and I'm getting to a point because we are condemned for being a religious system that is of, is, um, how do I want to put this? Um, idiots to follow Christianity. Okay? Because they grab a date based upon um, Roman gods. They don't even have proper dating when it comes to the years. And therefore that shows the, the lack of integrity amongst Christianity to be scholarly. And so some of these things you, you aren't uh, critical to your faith, but in discussing, having conversations, you want to deal with historical fact. And be able to say, hey, we aren't idiots. We, we understand what the scripture says, but here's how some of this evolved. Was Christ born December 25th, January 6th, or we don't know, or springtime? What do you think? Why is it December 25th? Why is that date? Why do people say it's December, it's celebrated September, uh, December 25th? What's that? Yeah, yeah, the, the claims are the Roman church grabbed a pagan festival uh, and they adopted their date and made it December 25th. Um, here's some historical facts, okay, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of ranting because I'm tired of people giving me articles you know, and, and stuff that says, hey, Christianity isn't, is, is for you know, people who don't care about history or don't care about integrity. That's just not true. There are many who make the issue of celebrating, and even within the Christian realm, okay? Uh, I'm going to pick on us, okay, for a moment. People who are Bible believers even overreact at times to this idea of December 25th. Here's how some people say, okay? The idea and ideals behind Christianity, we're going to attack them, and one of the basis is you don't even know why you're having his birthday on the 25th. You know, and the 25th isn't historically the date, and how can you, how can you worship this guy that you claim was born on this day, make it a big issue, and you don't even have your date right? Don't even have his birthday right. And so they attack it. Did you know that in World War II, the Germans tried to outlaw Christmas, the Nazis? Did you realize that? I hadn't known this. And of all countries that you're going to take uh, Christmas out of celebration, why Germany? A lot of our Christmas hymns came out of Germany. And so when Hitler came into rule, what he started to do is they started to uh, take over the education system. By the this sounds so familiar. Okay, they took over the educational system and they started to discourage the worship of Christ and His birthday, and starting to substitute Christmas season with other things to celebrate and other dates and other reasons. 
the major reason that December 5th, or 25th started to change in Germany was they started to say, this is when the, um, what do we call him, the Fuhrer, this is when he got his ideas. And so he's the one that's basically helped birth our empire and nation. They rewrote Silent Night. Here's the, the version that the Nazi um, propaganda put. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Only the chancellor stays on guard. Germany's future to watch and toward. Guiding our nation aright, guiding our nation aright. That's pretty, pretty severe blasphemy in the sense of what you're trying to do is trying to replace Christ. And so historically what happened in Germany is the new Hitler movement, the youth movement, they started buying into this idea that Christ maybe not be so important. But in the, in the early, mid-40s, it started shifting back towards Christianity. And people started to get more involved in celebrating Christmas traditionally once again. Do you remember what's happening in like 43, 44... Okay, what's happening on the war effort? It's starting to go against Germany. And so as it got more and more severe for Germany, guess what the population did? They shifted back towards the traditional aspects of their religion. And so there's, there's those groups. And, that, and do you see any parallel of this happening in our culture today where we're trying to take out Christ out of Christmas? Okay, and so here's another one that some will attack the integrity. And this is the part that just, it, it just grates me. Maybe I'm, the, maybe I'm just weird. But I'm tired of seeing TV programs and people just say, well, you know, Christmas, really, the Christians celebrate Christmas, but they don't even know that the day that they're celebrating is really a pagan God birthday. They don't even realize how corrupt their religion is. I'm so tired of that garbage that people propagate and promote. And the facts are, you know, did December 25th, and I'll come back to that in a second. The spiritual character of Christians, this one grates me too, is when other Christians attack other Christians and say you're not spiritual because you observe December 25th. I don't, so I'm spiritual. You do, and you are practicing a pagan worship day. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what are the facts historically? And what do you know that we don't know? And here's some of the arguments that are given. Is why we should not be observing Christmas. It, based out of the book of Galatians, where he is saying, some of you are turning back to the weaker and beggarly elements. It's literally, you're going back to the ABCs, the foundational things, and you're not keeping up with the meaty truths of the Word of God. And you're starting to observe days. And as you observe days, you're getting away from the Lord. That teaches us, this isn't what I teach, that teaches us that when you observe special days, you're, being, you're walking away from the Lord. So some groups say this, you don't observe Christmas, you don't observe birthdays, you don't observe anniversaries. Uh, hey, you would like this, okay? We just get rid of it because no birthday, you never get old. Forget the four years, okay? Do you know people that do this, that don't celebrate any of this stuff? Okay, they're basing it. And by the way, if you're going to be biblical about this and try to use Scripture, try to use Scripture right. Okay, what is he talking about observing days? 
He's talking about the Jewish people that are observing, they're going back to their days and their feasts and circumcision. It has nothing to do with the holiday. It's they're going back to the weaker and beggarly elements of the law and putting themselves under the law. That's the context of Galatians 4. December 25th was a pagan holiday. This is what some will suggest, which, by the way, there's fact to some of this. Okay, that it was a pagan holiday, was a day of their worship. And some will say, forget Christmas because it's become very worldly and we're not recognizing Christ, so it's wrong for Christians to recognize Christmas. This day was adopted by the Roman Catholic Church and therefore it spread. And anything Roman Catholic is bad, okay, in their mindset. And so we don't want to touch that. The common practices of decorating trees, mistletoe ornaments were based on pagan practices of old. Is that true? Yeah, that's, that's true. There's some of that. There's absolutely true. Even in England, when the Puritans took over the government, Oliver Cromwell era, when they took over that area era, they made it illegal to cook the plum pudding and mince pies on Christmas Day. Because those were the foods commonly associated with Christmas. We don't want to recognize Christmas, so you cannot cook plum pudding and mince pies on Christmas Day. Okay, so that becomes the law of the land. What do you do with it? I mean, seriously, what do you do with it? It's your family favorite. You make it the day before or the day afterwards. And so when they came to America in the form of the pilgrims who were seeking, you know, some of their freedom, in early Massachusetts colonial days, they outlawed taking Christmas Day off. You cannot observe Christmas Day. It's a day of work, no matter when it fell. And so they were opposed to recognizing Christmas whatsoever on December 25th. And so you and I say, okay, why did this become? What was the acceptable day? Here are some of the historical facts that you can check out. And you can find, if you do a little bit of research, in ancient Roman pre-Christian days, December 25th or thereabout. Yes, they did celebrate Saturnalia. Who's the god that they were worshiping on Saturnalia? Saturn, okay? They were worshiping him or Mithras, uh, who's an even more ancient god. And so it happened to be around December 25th. I would, uh, those who claim it is always on December 25th should double-check their history. They didn't have a clear calendar at that time. And so it was around that time period. Remember, the Julian calendar hadn't been, been uh, brought in. They would go by, how did they do their dating? They'd go by the moon. They'd go by winter solstice. Okay, and so historically, any time from about mid-December to the end of December, they could, sell, they could designate which day was Saturnalia's birthday and they would re, they would have these festivities and um, it's kind of like in China today if you visit China today they don't always know what day is going to be the day that they're going to celebrate I'm, I'm going to use just one instant one illustration but uh, similar to it like the Chinese New Year okay which day in the first part of January they're going to celebrate it it's up to the government to announce it on an annual basis, that's going to be the day. When we were in China on one of our visits, there was another Chinese holiday. They didn't know when it was going to be in a two-week period. One of the days we were there, the Chinese government said, in three days, we're going to celebrate that holiday. So if you're planning your schedule, what do you do? 
What can't you do? This is so un-American. Okay. How do you plan anything? You don't, you don't buy your tickets ahead of time because you don't know what days you have off. And so buying tickets is going to be a last-minute thing. And so that's way some... And that's not us. We want to know when our... We want to know when Christmas, what day of the week it is in three years from now. Okay. But that's a totally different thing. Anyway, so that what they would do is they celebrated Saturnalia. And they would do it with all these different festivities. And uh, just for your information, do you know how many major Roman gods there were that they would celebrate through the year? They had a whole pantheon of gods. But major gods, you know how many there were? Has to do with how many months we have. There was 12. Very good. Okay. There was 12. Guess how they spread them out? Once a month. So any month you pick, they're celebrating. And guess how they typically celebrated all their gods? Drinking, orgies, gift-giving, decorating with evergreen branches. So those, are those who accuse you as a believer for going after Saturnalia, any time of the year the Christians would have chosen for the birth of Christ, guess what? There would have been some God. There would have been something there that they would have found in, in accusing. And so it has to do with winter solstice, and that varies, we know, by lunar calendar. So what happened is, right around these years, there's all this Roman paganism. Constantine the Greek, uh, Great comes in. He becomes, comes to the throne, and he starts saying, as he comes to the throne of the Roman Empire, not the whole empire, but the beginning of the empire, he says, uh, let's stop the persecution of the Christians. No more persecution of Christians. There have been ten imperial persecutions up to this point where thousands and thousands of Christians have been killed over the years. And so he stops it all. And he says, no longer are Christians going to be persecuted. They're going to be accepted. And as time went by, not only are they going to be accepted, he started figuring out that the people who typically were the wisest individuals were the believers who used the most common sense, as he called it, the most common sense in dealing with human affairs, like government and financing. They were far more reliable. You and I go and say, it's the wisdom of the Lord. Like the king of Babylon looks and says, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's none like them. Where did they get such common sense wisdom? Where does it come from? It comes from the Lord. And what happens when a country gets rid of the Word of God and discourages it? What happens to common sense in America? Okay, and you're going, how can they think this way? It's because, Romans chapter 1, they have given themselves over to evil so much that what happens? They become reprobate in their minds. They start losing good reasoning abilities. And so what he thought is, okay, what I wanted to do is I'll unite the empire. And what I'm going to do is get the Christians and start putting Christians in charge of different communities and counties. And why? Things started blossoming financially, economically in the empire. And so what he wanted to do was get rid of traditional anti-Christian animosity. How long does it take to get rid of prejudice? Generation or two? Okay, so he wants to get rid of it. So what he wants to do is try to help blend the Christians together. 
with the communities and encourage them. And the Christians at that time were, were on board of being more acceptable and stop persecutions. So instead of standing out and saying, we want nothing to do with these monthly festivities that you get off of work and you're celebrating, we're going to kind of make those same festivities, but we'll put a Christian um, spin on the situation and try to make it a Christian focus. That's why I asked you at the beginning, if you didn't know when your birthday was, why would you pick certain days of the year? You pick a day that might say, hey, listen, I'm going to pick July 4th to be my birthday. It's not. But I'll pick July 4th because I'm guaranteed every July 4th. Okay. Fireworks. Yes, that's what it is. I'm off work on July 4th. Okay, you pick day. So they they picked a day that that fit into the culture, and was there pagan associations to that day historically? The fact is, yes. Was there pagan associations with twelve other days and twelve other months? Yes. Okay, so, but they picked a day and they started work. And what happened is this helped to centralize Christianity and saying, okay, now all Christians are on the same page and over a period of time, it became that December 25th became the spot. So by 354, one of the Bishop, uh, Bishop Liberia, who this is the forerunners of the popes, he declares that this is going to be the official birthday of Jesus Christ that we're going to recognize. We're going to recognize December 25th throughout Western Christianity. And and that was the first time. Now, some would reject it because this has the inklings of and the beginnings of the Roman Catholic Church. But here's a couple of things for you to keep in mind. No one really knows for certain. His birth is sometime in here. And let me, let me throw some facts to you. December 25th wasn't picked randomly. There were other Christian scholars that had already researched and come up with December 25th. For instance... Okay, this guy wrote a history of the world in 221 A.D. I would like to have taken world history under him. The pages would have been very little in his book. In his book that he calls the Conographic, he suggests the creation was around uh, 5,500, and he even gives a date, March 21st of that year. It's pretty good. Uh, Day number four, the sun was created. Therefore, the real light, the real sun, was conceived on March 25th, which if you jump forward after conception, when is his birth date? We're going to be now, nine months later, December 25th. This is in 221 that they're suggesting December 25th. Okay, that, that's in some of the church groups. Hippolytus, who was a prolific Christian writer, he was martyred, pulled apart. This was under one of those ten uh, imperial um, um, persecutions. He wrote in his commentary on Daniel that Christ was born December 25th. Again, this is postulated far before we're talking Constantine and even the Roman Catholic Church developing that concept. John Chrysostom, okay, in the early 300s, he suggested on his studies that Zacharias was working in the temple and the feast day was the Day of Atonement. Do you know who Zacharias is? This is Luke chapter 1. Who's, who's Zacharias? 
John the Baptist, okay, and he's finding out you're going to have a baby, okay, as no man. So they get that news, and the baby's conceived shortly thereafter. Therefore, John is going to be born in June and July, is his, is his estimate. How old, what's the difference between John's birth and Jesus' birth? Six months, according to Scripture. Therefore, Jesus had to be born late December, early January. Now, these scholars were basing it on some rationale, and they were propagating already the December 25th idea even before the Roman Catholic Church jumped on the bandwagon and did that. And so those are some of the facts that they were choosing, not based on just Saturnalia, but they were basing it upon some scriptural concepts. Okay, Some would say this, it cannot be December January. It's just impossible because the shepherds would not be in their fields in the winter months. Understand the culture and the climate of that part of the world. It isn't the same as International Falls, Minnesota. Okay, it's just, it, it isn't lake effect Buffalo. Okay, it's just not that way. Okay, the, the idea the shepherds near Bethlehem, they were year round taking care of their sheep. And there's a reason for that. Their sheep were the sheep that were sold in the bazaars of the marketplace, and their sheep were the approved sheep for the sacrifices. Basically, they worked for the priests. And so how much time of the year would they have sheep that they're raising? All year, because then it would be, the high point would be, obviously, Passover. But people are traveling in and doing sacrifices regularly. So they're keeping their sheep regularly. And it is not the same culture. It's not here. Okay, the climate is is less aggressive than ours. So to be out in the fields is not unknown. In there, you know, even people today who go to that region in the wintertime, they will see shepherds in their fields at times. Now, we're more modernized and things are, are different. But I'm talking people in our modern age, like in the 17, 1800s, Those who visited Christians who would go there in their writings talk about, yes, shepherds were out in the fields a lot in this region um, during the nighttime because it wasn't the same idea. Well, here's the other argument that comes up from those who are more scholarly than you and I who want to make us look like idiots. They say, wait a minute, December and January, the Romans would not have everybody move in December and January to go for taxation. Bad time of the year to be traveling. How do you respond to that? They didn't care. The Romans didn't care, number one. But they, did, they, they would have to have some concern. Why would, it be, why would this be the most likely time to say travel as opposed to springtime or August, September, October? You said it. It's crops. When are the farmers supposed to be working? Okay, you're in an agrarian society. When is the time when the farmers are least pressed to be in their fields? At this time. At this time, post-harvest. And so that idea is proven historically that that's just not accurate. Though people like the ladies on The View, they will stick with this and you can give them all the facts you want. But they will still make these accusations against Christianity to try to make Christians look... Stupid, okay? And the whole story. And so no one really knows the time of the birth. We know it, it was 4 to 6. We don't know exactly what day it was. And the bottom line is it really doesn't make any difference when he was born. The real question is, okay, 
if we're going to go to one of the interrogatives, who, what, where, why, when, which one is the most important? Why he came. Why he came. Okay, and so that's the very important one. Now, if you want to be a purist, this is my snide nature coming out, my ungracious nature. Okay, if you want to be snide and say, well, we shouldn't have any associations with anything historically that has anything to do with paganism. Okay, I grant you we don't want to be worldly. But if you don't want to do that, let me suggest then several things you've got to change. Okay, you cannot drive a Mazda. Okay, because a Mazda is a pagan god. Okay, you cannot write January down anywhere coming up because January is named after a pagan god. You cannot use Friday because that's named after a pagan god. You can't mention any other planet but Earth because all other planets are named after pagan gods. You don't go to Starbucks. can't go to Starbucks because their symbol is... It's a siren, the woman in their symbol, in their logo. Do you know what a siren is? Okay, it's one of those mermaid-type creatures that would be at the rocks, and they would call to the sailors in this very attractive voice that would just draw them in without... That, that was Starbucks' logo, it is, to get the idea that you can't resist their coffee. I can for six bucks a cup. I can let it go. Okay. In fact, you guys who have these bumper stickers with a fish, you better not do that. The fish symbol was not unique to the Christians. It was a very common symbol for the gods, and it was one that the Christians used. And part of the reason they used it was because it was common. But they could relate to one another, even though it was used in temples. They would do it on a personal basis, and they would draw, and that could draw people in. And so if you start saying, I don't want to be dealing with anything that has pagan associations, you've got to move up into the caves of Pennsylvania and just kind of be remote. And part of this is, you know, some would say this, and I've had this um, conversation frequently with people. We are not to celebrate any special days except those that were specifically given in the Bible, such as the feast days of Israel. I, I, I got, got just food for thought for you. Okay? It's a nice idea, but did Jesus follow that practice? No, he didn't. Did Jesus observe feast days that are not mentioned in the Old Testament? but they became culturally acceptable in his time period? The answer is yes. The answer is like Hanukkah. Okay, this is the week of Hanukkah, right, that it's being celebrated. Where, where does it come about? Why is Hanukkah a feast day in the Jews? It's not Old Testament. Okay, it's in the, it's in the pre-Christ era. The silent years and their celebration because there was a miracle that took place that when they lit the, the candelabra, it was only supposed to have enough oil for one day. It lasted for eight days. Therefore, now we have eight days of Hanukkah because God continued to provide oil miraculously and it was associated with the independence won by the Israelites. It's their independence day that they won from the Greek Empire. And so they celebrate it. And so it happened just a couple, a few generations before Jesus. And yet we read in Scripture, and, and by the way, did you catch the names of this? It's called the Feast of Dedication, the Festival of Lights. 
either one of those names. Now in John, we read, it was in Jerusalem, the Feast of Dedication. This is Hanukkah, which is only a hundred and some years old. It was in winter, Jesus walked in the temple, and that's when he comes and he says, my sheep hear my voice. Jesus went to the temple for this celebration. There is a feast that many of you are familiar with. It's the Feast of Purim. It's not an Old Testament. It came out of the Old Testament, but it wasn't one of the designated feasts by God. Do you remember who this is? This is Esther. Do you remember what Purim is? Um, Who's the guy? Haman. Haman passed the law that the Jews were supposed to be wiped out. She gets the king who can't rescind the law. She gets him to pass another law. They have a right to defend themselves. The Jews can defend. And if you attack me, if I'm a Jew, and you guys attack me, not only can I defend myself, but if I whoop you, I get all your stuff. Okay? Instead of vice versa. That became the Feast of Purim. A day that they were, you know, they celebrated and it became a generational customary feast that they were celebrating because they were, they were, um, they were protected. The way they celebrated it is they gave gifts to one another because this was their day of deliverance. Okay, so we jump forward and we read in John chapter 5 that Jesus went up to, and it's a minor feast, not a major feast. He goes up to a, one of the lesser feasts, and he celebrates, and it's on, the, it's on the Sabbath, and while he's celebrating. Now, of the minor feast, Purim is the only one that fell on a Sabbath day in this five to ten year period, back in his lifetime. And so it's very clear that Jesus observed the feast of Purim. But it wasn't part of the Levitical law. But it was something that culturally came into their system and they adapted and he went along with it. Thus, if you observe a certain day such as this, I don't think you're less of a dedicated Christian. If you choose not to, that's okay. If you choose to celebrate it, that's okay. Because remember the text that in 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans chapter 13 and 14... It dealt with certain things that have associations to paganism, like the pagan temple, and it had to do with meat. And Paul says, if you aren't comfortable eating the meat, then don't eat it. But if you're comfortable eating the meat, then eat it. The only time you don't eat it is if it's going to cause your brother or sister to go back into paganism. Okay, and so he makes it very clear with this, and he adds to it not only meat-eating, but he says observing of days and recognizing those days and then as well. So the conclusion of this is, where you're talking about it, is it's personal choice. And the only reason that I'd say, okay, if I choose, and Deb and I choose, that we celebrate Christmas, which we do, and this church does, if we recognize that as a holiday that we use to share the gospel and talk about Christ, but we tell people we don't know if this is the exact date, but we're celebrating his arrival. And so when we celebrate his arrival, if it causes you to turn into going back to pagan ritualism and satanic worship, then we ought not to do it. I don't think it's going to happen to any of you, okay, that you're going to be stumbled, and if I stumble, a brother, okay? So then I have to be careful. There's so much more I wanted to talk about, and that's this one that's, oh, criticism is how can you believe in the virgin birth? Because I believe that God created people without a man and a woman. 
He created man from... Very good. He created woman from... She didn't have a mom and dad. Can God create life without the normal biological processes? Yeah, in fact, he's going to resurrect our bodies, which in some cases, they're dust. Could God therefore do a miracle by taking just one member, one, one gender of the human society and create a pregnancy? With God, nothing is impossible. Let's talk about him a little bit more in a few minutes. Okay, thanks so much for listening to my diatribe and Christmas thoughts. Let's get ready to celebrate Christmas.